This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? Pretty well. It feels like it's it's been a while since we've talked, um, and I guess it has. I was away in yeah. Texas, and then I got super surprise jury duty, which lasted way too long <laughs> for me to actually not even serve on a jury. Um, oh, go figure. Yeah, so it was quite the couple of weeks, but we're back to our regular scheduled life. Um, yeah. How are you? Yeah. I'm doing okay. I saw Hamilton this past weekend, so I'm, right. <laughs> I'm pretty great. Uh, local Dallas. Well, I, I, it's not a local Dallas production. It's the tour, <laughs> and it was here in Dallas. So uh, it was really great. And my parents and brothers saw it last night, which I was really excited about because my parents hadn't like experienced Hamilton at all before, and they liked it. So Did it live up to the hype? It did. It, I mean, it's not the original cast, right? but uh, it was fun. It was very good production, and I really, really liked how easy it was to follow uh, because, again, my parents were seeing it, and they're not like rap people. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> so I was just, yeah, I was just really glad that it was easy to understand for their sake. Excellent. So. Anyways, thank you, everybody, for your patience in our absence. Uh, but here we are. We're jumping into season eight. And uh, I just want to emphasize, don't take our short hiatus as us being anxious or nervous or not wanting to dive into season eight, our first season without Michael, because I'm really excited. Um, as am I. Yeah, this is just a, a crazy coincidence that it happened right <laughs> um, at the end of season seven. But we are eager to finish up these these two very good seasons, um, which brings us to the end of the show. Uh, it's not at all a downhill slide here. Like, there's a lot of really good stuff coming up. So we have a few Facebook recommendations from Stephen, Steve, Hasib, Adam, and Brittany. Thank you all for reaching out on Facebook. And some Apple podcast reviews as well from Shoot Draxus, Shoot Draxus, <laughs> uh, perhaps, and Thanos fan. Thanos fan mm. says our only flaw is that we're unfairly biased against, and I quote, the beautiful, witty, charming Karen Filippelli. Uh, fair. She is beautiful, <laughs> witty, charming, and we really do like her. I mean, I believe Chad does as well. Um, yeah, I do. We really do. We don't think he's Jim's soulmate. But she's great. I think she's funny. I think she's intelligent and beautiful. And her husband, the dentist or orthodontist, whichever he is, um, <laughs> I'm sure that they're a great match. We don't unfortunately get to meet him. But uh, no, we, we really do like Karen. Um, but hey, if that's our only uh, unfair bias, then I think we're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think we were critical of Karen. Uh, but I mean... She needed some criticism thrown her way. I like her, but she wasn't completely fair against Jim. Not saying she that he was completely fair against her either, but I do think we were pretty even keeled for the most part. And bottom line is, I'm glad he's with Pam. Eh. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, we also got some emails from Larry. Thank you, Larry. And from Dan. And Dan is a fellow podcaster. And he emailed us with a question about a line from an episode way back in season three from Cocktails. Uh, Michael refers to David Wallace as his boss's boss's boss. Remember, this is where they have the party at David's house. Uh, and it's Jan and Michael's first outing as a couple. So that quote says that David Wallace is the boss of Jan's boss, not directly of Jan. So that begs the question, who is Jan's boss? Who is between her 
as uh, VP of Northeastern Sales and David Wallace as the CFO of the company. And in trying to answer this question for Dan, I did a lot of research. I searched around like Dunderpedia and a couple of other resources. And there's not an in-between position named that I could find. Uh, but there were a few options that I listed for him. Uh, number one, it was still early in the show. And Dunder Mifflin Corporate hadn't really been fully fleshed out. We didn't meet David Wallace until towards season two, uh, into season two. Anyways, uh, second option, Michael is Michael Scott. And he just got the hierarchy wrong because he's Michael Scott. <laughs> and then the third option was Jan is just the VP of Northeastern Sales. She's not VP of Dunder Mifflin. And so it's possible and probably pretty likely that there is a level between uh, her and David, like an actual VP of the company or some other equivalent. So it was an interesting question, something I had never caught before. Uh, so thanks, Dan, for reaching out and asking that and helping us educate ourselves a little bit. Lastly, we had a few people reach out to us to tell us that we were mistaken. Yes, Ryan was in Threat Level Midnight. We kind of forgot about him. Sorry, Ryan. Um, <laughs> sorry, Threat Level Midnight, the movie. He was the guy who started the ice skating race. We momentarily blanked and forgot while we were recording. But thanks to Corey, Michelle, and a few others, um, we did goof up. Yes, he was the ref or the, I don't know, he, he started the, the race, the speed skating. So, yeah. Yeah, he was in the movie. Yeah, we just completely blanked. <laughs> it is such a blink and you miss it kind of part. I mean, yeah. he's literally in there for like five seconds of screen time, but he was in there long enough to get his name in the title credits. So all that goes to say, we are now diving into season eight. Woo! We're here. Okay, first episode is titled The List. It aired on September 22nd of 2011 and was written and directed by BJ Novak. We learn at the top of the season that Robert California, played by James Spader, is now CEO of Dunder Mifflin. We'll get to that in a second. And he has taken a vested interest in the Scranton branch. Between Andy as manager and Robert as CEO, there's a lot of change. During the day, Robert California leaves his notebook open on Aaron's desk, and she looks at it. It's a list of Scranton's employees in two columns. Concerned about what this might mean, the staff confront Robert, and the day only gets weirder and weirder. Meanwhile, we learn that Pam and Angela have some pretty big news in common. Okay, let's just dive in. So, yes, Robert was chosen by the search committee as the new regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton. He walked in on the first day, though, and just sort of looked around. It was like, you know what? I'm not feeling this. <laughs> and he left. And he drove to Florida. Or maybe he flew there. I, I don't remember exactly what Jim said. Uh, and he convinced Joe. He convinced Joe to give him her own job. So I guess she's now retired or something, doing some other creative venture. And he is now the CEO of Sabre. Go figure. Really strange. And because he vacated the regional manager position, uh, he is now uh, responsible for choosing his replacement, and he chose Andy Bernard. So I don't know if any of us would have guessed that in the moment. Do you remember your initial uh, thoughts when you first watched this ep or this season, who you thought was going to be manager? I don't know who I thought was going to be manager, but I didn't think it was going to be Andy. <laughs> I remember mm -hmm. watching this episode and being like, because he does that drum roll and then the, it's me. And I was like, really? I mean, okay. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. I, I, I didn't think, honestly, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this in this episode, but I didn't think he had the, 
I don't know, the presence to be a manager or the, mm-hmm. the clout. But I think that's everyone's feeling in the office. It's like, okay, uh, all right, let's give this a go, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that is one of the arcs over the episode that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. Talking a little bit more about Robert, it's strange to me that uh, Jim tells us that Robert works out of the Dunder Mifflin uh, conference room about half of the time, which is really strange because, like, he's the CEO of a company and Dunder Mifflin is just like a very, very small part of that company. So, what is it about Dunder Mifflin Saber Scranton that draws him there, you know? Yeah, and why Scranton? There are other branches, and why Dunder Mifflin Saber doesn't. Saber incorporated Dunder Mifflin. There mm-hmm. are other parts to Saber, as you said. So I don't know. Um, I'm glad we get him, though, because, yeah. <laughs> man, he is an interesting character. He is so interesting. I mean, that's like the mildest word you could use to describe him, I think. <laughs> um, and because he's so present, everyone's sort of getting to know him. We're getting to know him as an audience. And uh, one thing that we get to witness that he likes to do is when he takes breaks from working in the conference room, he walks around and he has, quote, really intense small talks. And Jim says, you just hope it's not you. And yet you hope it is you too. It's strange. And I mean, we saw back in the season seven season finale how intense he is and how easily he commands a conversation and sort of just dominates the room with his presence. And we see a lot of that in this episode. Yeah, he eventually picks Aaron and we see this crazy, weird and very intense small talk with her. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit. And as I alluded to in the plot summary, the next big thing that happens for Robert in this episode is this list. So Robert left this notebook on Aaron's desk with everyone's name split into two columns. I should say everyone was named except for Creed, who was old man. And (laughs) (laughs) this makes everyone really nervous, as I think it would make anyone really nervous. So not so brilliantly, they photocopied it when Robert wasn't looking and they gave a copy to everyone and a copy to Andy. Um, and they spend the next good part of the day trying to decipher what this means. And are they teams? Are they rivals? Are they winners? Are they losers? What, what is this divide? And, and why has Robert written it down? Yeah, they speculate. They debate. They eventually take it to Andy because, I mean, he's the boss man now. And they say, hey, what's the deal with this? Can you maybe ask Robert about it? Andy initially says, no, I don't want anything to do with it. But he is pressured into it uh, by the rest of the employees. And so he he takes it to Dun- or <laughs> he takes it to Robert and says, so uh, look what they found. Look what we passed around the office. And uh, we're just curious, what does this mean? And Robert's a little frustrated at first, it seems. Uh, we, we really don't know how much, but he says, okay, sit down. I'll explain to you. He says, it's a doodle. Something he does to pass the time. Uh, he's not an artist. Some people draw cubes or houses or penises, he says. Um, but he's not an artist, so he doodles with words and with lists. And so this is just a doodle. But as he is explaining this to Andy, he erases Andy's name and moves it to the other side. And I, I want to talk about that specifically more in depth for the discussion topic. But uh He's trying to pass this off as no big deal as he is moving Andy's name over. And so I can only imagine what's going through Andy's head. Like, whatever I just did, I, I, 
it, it, it can't be good, you know? Well, and before that happened, Andy points out to the office, he says, well, it, it seems like the left side is the side to be on. Andy, Jim, Dwight, Daryl, etc. And he says, no offense, Pam. Pam's not on the left side. So he, he seems to think anyway that the left side of the list is the winning side, as it were. It's got the winners on that side of the list. And then when Robert moves him to the right side, that is kind of a punch in the gut to him because he thought he was on the good side of the list. Right. Robert then, unprompted, asks the left-siders out to lunch, further confirming Andy's theory that the left side was the side to be on. He asks Jim what his daughter thinks of the street, you know, Sesame Street, and goes into a highly philosophical and bizarre discussion about Elmo. Toby excuses himself immediately. Toby is a left-sider. And he says, I'm sorry, I should not be here. I need to just get back over there. I, I don't need to be here. It's like he thinks they're having some sort of elevated intellectual conversation right. about Sesame Street. That That's not even accurate. I mean, Robert's the only one speaking about uh, Sesame Street intellectually. And everybody else is just sort of parroting him and saying, oh, that's a, an astute observation. And, oh, yes, I completely agree. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, everybody else is just sort of saying things to appease Robert. Uh, Kevin says... What I like most about Elmo is the tickling. And that's what Toby is like. Yeah, I, I, I am below this conversation, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny that he thinks that they're talking about more than they actually are. He can't keep up. Yeah. And then Dwight eventually asks Robert why he invited this group to lunch. Why this group specifically? Robert says he thinks that they're winners. Confirmed. And wanted to have lunch with them. And Dwight asks if that makes the other group losers. And Robert confirms, I guess I think they're losers. And then under his breath, he says, I probably shouldn't have said that. So Jim being at lunch and Pam being in the office, Jim texts Pam and says, this is getting very weird. We'll explain later. Immediately after that, Kevin texts the whole right side, suck it, losers. So it's been made pretty clear to the left siders that this is the preferred group. This is Robert's A-list. Which I'm sure that every manager, every CEO even has people that they prefer uh, and people that they think will succeed over others. But to make this known and literally create teams of winners and losers is a pretty bold move right off the bat. Well, do you think it would have been as big an issue if he hadn't been dis like if his list hadn't been found? Like, obviously. I, I'm assuming he still would have taken those specific people to lunch uh, with the addition of Andy because he wouldn't have confronted him about it. But I don't know. I, I guess it's sort of the same sort of idea as D'Angelo's inner circle, but at least Robert's uh, list of winners includes like Phyllis and Angela. So it's not a sexist thing. It's really based on performance, I guess, for the most part with right. a couple of... Uh, weird skews right uh i'm speaking mostly about kevin uh but i don't know i just it doesn't seem as big a deal as the inner circle was to me yeah i think it could easily turn into that if if the list wasn't found and if he just started taking the left siders out to lunch and i don't know if it continued down that path i think it could become another inner circle Mm -hmm. um, be it half the office, so that's not a couple of guys. But to write it down at all, 
is concerning. I, I don't know. And to physically remove Andy's name, I mean, I don't want to get into that too much because that's your topic, but to physically mm-hmm. remove his name from one side to the other is, I mean, right in front of him is such a, I don't know, it's very concrete. Well, when they get back to the office after lunch and everybody who was at lunch is being super obnoxious, they are squirting people with water bottles, talking about winners and losers, putting the, the loser sign on their forehead. They're just being jerks. Uh, Andy decides to step in and say, hey, we're, we just want to clear up a couple things. Uh, there is an impression at this office that some people are, let's just say, higher tier. And Robert initially debunks that, says, I didn't say that. And he said, oh, yeah, good. That's exactly what we were hoping for. Robert says, I said, I believe the words I used were winners and losers. And I really like this speech. Uh, I'll talk more about it after I read it. He says, let me tell you some things I find productive. Positive reinforcement. Negative reinforcement. Honesty. I'll tell you some things I find unproductive. Constantly worrying about where you stand based on inscrutable social clues. And then inevitably reframing it all in a reassuring way so that you can get to sleep at night. No, I do not believe in that at all. If I invited you to lunch, I think you're a winner. If I didn't, I don't. But I just met you all. Life is long. Opinions change. Winners, prove me right. Losers, prove me wrong. So to me, this is Robert being fair to everybody. And he's being honest with everybody, too. He's saying, yes, I have some initial impressions of all of you. I may be wrong. We just met. I have time to get to know you all better. So losers, prove to me that you're not a loser. Not that he ever actually used the word loser until he was prompted by Dwight. But then he says, winners, you're not necessarily locked in either. You've got to prove me right. You've got to continue to make me think you're a winner. So this is where I think it differs from D'Angelo's inner circle is that he's being inclusive of people. He's being honest with people. He's telling them exactly what his thought process is. And he's saying, this isn't locked in. This, there's a chance that you could move one way or the other. So just do your best. I'm glad you like this speech because I wrote down, it makes sense. Does it make yeah. sense? Is it pathological or fair? Has the Robert California phenomenon gotten to me too? <laughs> um, <laughs> because the faces of the people in the office are, some are kind of understanding, some are confused, some are offended. And I was like, wait, does this make sense? I think it makes sense, but does it actually? And I'm glad that you like this speech because I was like, is he and his weird ways are they just getting to me too but no um it's a good speech i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of tough love which is telling of his personality um this early in his career at denner mifflin i think it's really awesome like i i i really just want to drive home he's he's being fair and he's being honest and yes it's blunt yes he's saying yeah i think some of you are losers right now but that's not my permanent opinion of you. It's not like I've drawn everything in ink. He even makes a point of telling Andy later in the episode, I don't use a ballpoint pen. That's why there's like erase marks. He's moved these uh, names already a couple of times. So I think it's great. But this whole time, Robert took every, all, all the quote winners to lunch. And he was like, well, I'm, on, I'm apparently a loser. And all these people here are losers, and everybody's feeling pretty bummed about that. So we're going to have our own sort of little special shindig here. We're going to order pizza. We're going to have our own pizza party, and we'll be inclusive of ourselves. And so 
right off the bat as manager, Andy is recognizing that people are down and he's, he's being sensitive to their feelings and he's trying to improve their, their outlook. Uh, and even after, again, what I think is a satisfactory speech from Robert and a satisfactory explanation of his mindset, Andy's continues to stand up for the people on the loser list. And he goes through a list of all the people and says, well, let's talk about each of these people you think are losers. Stanley, did you know he has the most consistently high sale numbers of anyone in this office? Meredith Palmer, the word no, not in, not even in her vocabulary. Uh, Pam, easily the most creative and kind person I've ever worked with. Aaron Hannon, the receptionist and my closest confidant, a winner if there ever was one. So Andy is here standing up for, uh, to put it simply, the little people, the people that don't loom quite as large in Robert's eyes. And even though Robert just gave this speech that gave people op- the opportunity to uh, continue to improve his opinion of them, he is trying to boost that, to bolster that now and give these people higher status from the start. Yeah, I think it's pretty bold that the first day we see of Andy's managership, he confronts Robert twice, once about the list and what it is, and the second time to argue the list and say that it's not fair and it's not accurate. Um, for a guy that who even I just said is someone kind of lacking the qualifications possibly to be manager, or not not even the qualifications, but kind of the personality traits to be manager, I kind of just proved myself wrong because he just stood up to Robert California twice on his first day. So maybe he's not as meek as I thought he might be. And if anybody wasn't bought in on Andy as boss before this moment where he stands up to him, uh, they're bought in after. As everybody's leaving at the end of the day, everybody offers him some sort of goodbye or appreciation for what he just did for them. And it's not just the winners. It's not just the losers. It's everybody who shows Andy man, you did a good thing and we appreciate that. And we recognize you as our boss now and they admire him for it. And it's really great. I was really impressed with Andy. Which is funny because that he did make that impression on everyone by the end of the day, but it's not how he planned on getting it. He planned on getting it because his mission for the day, his first move as manager was to try to get everyone in the office a long weekend for Columbus Day, which he did not know that they got every year, <laughs> but darn it, he's going to try to get it for them with Robert. And he thought that that would be the thing that made everyone like him as manager. Uh, that wasn't it. He tries to make the right siders feel better when they were invited to Robert's lunch. He throws them a pizza party, which is just pizza. Kelly says that's not a pizza party. There needs to be another element, but no one feels better, but he's trying. It's him standing up to Robert that grabs everyone's attention and makes him managerial. It's not his acts, it's his words. I'm glad you mentioned that because I I had an earlier point that I forgot to say. He seems super needy, but in a much different way than Michael ever was. Michael, you remember the the talking head where he says he has this need to be like, or he doesn't have the need to be like, but he wants to be liked and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's all that Michael really wanted uh, from his employees was to be liked. Andy seems 
he, he's sort of continuing his same storyline he's had a need to prove himself. It's like he's saying, look what I can do now that I'm manager. I'm getting you an extra day off. Aren't I a good boss? See how I made, how they made the right choice in picking me like that kind of mindset. Yeah. It's not that the desire to be liked in the same way Michael had isn't there. Uh, he, he's more interested in getting everyone the day off or half day. And he's trying to figure out what Robert thinks of him. And then he's saving the actual like business stuff for if these, if there's extra time, like right. there's the, uh, they lost their biggest client. Apparently he says, time permitting, I'll share ro- that information with Robert. <laughs> and so he, he's not setting super high goals for himself. Uh, only the super, uh, easily achievable ones. And it's just the <laughs> last thing I have to say about it, I guess, uh, that, that final standing up to Robert moment isn't in front of everybody. It's in the conference room at Robert's workspace. He's not trying to make a show of things. He's just trying to stand up for the people and they hear him doing this as sort of like a byproduct. And that's even more admirable. He's not trying to make a show of it. So other things happening in this episode. Uh, do you want to talk about Dwight at all? Yeah, I not, not a ton to say, except that no. Dwight is barely able to cope with not being manager. He's got this talking head. He says, yeah, at first I was really disappointed, but I've got a great daily routine going right now. I have upped my karate to eight times a week. I've added boxing, lunches, and on weekends. I do kickboxing three times a week, Krav Maga four times a week, and an hour of meditation every morning at sunrise and again at sunset. So yeah, I'm doing great. (laughs) Um, Mm. He's not doing great, clearly. He's... (laughs) No. He's suppressing his feelings um yeah it's like distractions to keep him away from his depression right i think being on robert's left side possibly helped i don't know if he really i don't know i don't know if robert's earned his respect yet as we've seen dwight is someone who needs respect earned but i think it was a nice boost well definitely improved his mood at least for the day because he he starts sort of like exer- exercising authority even over Andy because he's on the left side and Andy is no longer on the left side. Uh, when they get back from lunch, he's like, yeah, it was a good time, but good time's over. Everybody get back to work. You too, Andy. Right. Uh, so, yeah, Dwight's not in a great place, but uh, Robert having a slightly elevated opinion of him over others helps a little bit. And... I guess that's really it. We both, I mean, we already mentioned that Pam and, and, oh, we didn't mention this. You mentioned that Pam and Angela both have big news. They are both pregnant. So Pam is pregnant with her second uh, child. This is going to be a son, they reveal. Uh, She's got pregnancy hormones going out the wazoo. She's crying at the same dog commercial over and over and over again. And the thought that maybe the left side of the list is just a list of people to be fired. That makes her cry. And, uh, when Jim is leaving for lunch with the other quote winners, she's, she says, I love you so much. She's crying there too. And, uh, at the very end, uh, as they're leaving for the end of the day, Jim drops a piece of paper and just leaves it and she picks it up and it's a list, uh, of his own. And on the left, it says, Pam, CC and new baby. And it says everything else on the other side. <laughs> and she's, she's crying over that. So she's going to frame it. <laughs> So she's super crazy pregnancy hormoned out at this point. And then Angela uh, is obnoxiously pregnant. Yeah. And, and not in the 
cute, fun, big pregnant way in the rude, um, uh, comparing herself to Pam way. She calls herself little pregs and Pam is big pregs. Pam says, yeah, I'm also several months ahead of you. So (laughs) be fair. (laughs) Um, Angela compares herself to Pam again. I'm having my child with my husband, the senator, and Pam is having a child with Jim, the great salesman. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Everything's a comparison, and that's what we've got on Angela's side. Yeah, she's like turning her pregnancy into a competition. Um, Last character thing I had to mention before we get to the funny stuff is just want to mention that Daryl is pretty disappointed that he didn't get the job as well because back in the last episode he thought he was a shoe in he was like i know these people they know me i'm a good fit i've got management experience down in the warehouse i'm obviously the great choice but then he sort of botched his interview and tried some shady things to influence the committee and so he didn't get the job and so he's like i've got something even better he looks around um this can of soda and so that's all we get, really, from Daryl this episode. But, yeah, he's bummed out, too. So, funny moments. This came out in, what was it, 2011? Fall 2011. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Planking was viral in 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And the fad apparently hit Dunder Mifflin, Scranton, too. So, we first see Aaron planking on a parking curb. Most of the people in the office don't get it. However, including Aaron, she says, but I'm so excited to be a part of it. (laughs) Uh, She's just glad to partake in a team activity. However, the planking has gotten out of control. So Andy asks Dwight, his number two slash enforcer to handle this. He blows Meredith off the bathroom stall with a fire extinguisher. He drops a ream of paper on a warehouse worker from a floor above, which seems like a completely fireable offense. And uh, tips Toby off of a table in the kitchen. So, yeah, he's not about any of this. Yeah, we also saw Meredith lying under the urinals at the start. (sighs) And uh, Aaron was on the curb in the parking lot. Kevin was on Dwight's desk. And Kelly uh, was on the cabinet in Andy's office. So this uh, it's a strange assortment of people into this. And uh, there's a deleted scene that addresses... The timing of the fat as well, which I loved, which we'll talk about later. I mentioned this briefly earlier when Robert is explaining to Andy the uh, doodling that he was doing with the list. It's just a doodle. He says some people doodle at work when they let their mind run. They draw houses, penises. Funny how the houses are always colonials and the penises are always circumcised. <laughs> don't you think? And Andy just gives the camera a look like... I don't want to think about that. I've never thought about that ever. So it's strange that you do. (laughs) Stanley um, has a new hobby, (laughs) I guess. It's a new new something. A new joke. It's probably a new joke. I guess that's what I'll call it. He came up with a new thing this summer, he says. He says, I act like I'm telling someone. I, sorry. I act like I'm telling someone how to do something. I go on a long description and I say, and shove it up your butt. It's stupid, but it's my thing now. And we get an example. He says, it might be easier if you take a deep breath, lift from the knees, and shove it up your butt. And then we get another one later. It's, we'll take the first letter from each name. This is when he's trying to d- decide what the columns mean. Assign it to a number. 
add them all up and shove it up your butt. So that's uh, <laughs> that's Stanley's new game. Yeah, he says it's stupid, but it's my thing now. <laughs> um, I, I just think it's so funny that everybody else is still amused by it. Who knows how long he's been doing this. But when he says it that time when they're trying to decipher the list... Uh, everybody chuckles and and he's like thank you for some much needed comedic relief but we need to figure this out <laughs> uh at the end when andy is confronting robert and he says uh robert says are we done and he says yes no the friday before columbus day we're gonna take a half day so that everyone can get a jump on the long weekend robert says you want a three and a half day weekend for columbus day andy yes i do and you are aware that Columbus and his legions committed genocide against an entire civilization of Native Americans. And he just says, I don't care. <laughs> like, it's a holiday. No matter what we think of the person, we are going to take advantage of it. Thank you. Goodbye. Do not bring Columbus up right now. <laughs> also, Andy, um, kind of Pam. Pam is crying and feeling badly about herself for being in the losing group. She says she used to be cute and funny, and now she's just a fat mom. And Andy (laughs) says, chins up. (laughs) Oh. At least he admits that it's a bad joke. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, not not good for the hormonal pregnant woman. (laughs) Uh, When the office first brings the list to Andy, they don't give him any context. They just give him a list of names. And he just says, really great list of names, guys. Thank you so much. Good work. <laughs> like, I don't know what this is for, but I'm the new manager and I'm going to encourage you even if I don't know. <laughs> it's like, reminds me of like a mom of a toddler who does something crazy, like uh, dr- draws a picture of something that makes no sense. Yeah. It's like, oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put this on the refrigerator. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, um, also, when he's talking to Robert about, oh, uh, you know, Phyllis should be in this column, Stanley should be in this column, whatever, when he's correcting Robert, he says, well, just to be fair, I saw you had Gabe in the loser column. I think that is astute. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wants to make sure that Gabe stays where he belongs. Yeah, uh, Gabe is in the episode. Uh, I think in the actual episode, there's only like one shot we see of him. Yeah. And it's like a blink and you miss it thing. But we'll we'll talk about that when we get to deleted scenes. Because uh, we thought he was leaving. Yeah. But apparently not. Um, when Andy does go to confront Robert about the list and ask about it, he is knocking on the conference room door and he's doing like this rhythm. And Robert just says, yes, for God's sake, Andy, come in. Like, <laughs> I do not have the the patience for this right now. And uh, when Andy is telling the losers, quote, losers, about the pizza party, he says, it'll be a pizza party when the five pizzas I just ordered get here. You guys ever had margarita pizza? Stanley asks, what's that? And Andy says, fresh tomato with a dollop of mozzarella cheese. And Stanley just goes, that's pizza. <laughs> and Pam says, that's regular pizza. And when the pizza does arrive, Andy says, aha, their interpretation of margarita pizza. Fans of classic pizza will be psyched. <laughs> Andy, people don't want your fancy pizza. I mean, margarita pizza is a thing, people, where you have like actual slices of tomato or diced tomato. And it's a little different than just tomato sauce. But why? Like, why? Just get some pizza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Dwight apparently used to make lists similar to Robert's list, and so they called Dwight in sort of as an expert witness <laughs> to um, <laughs> see if he can make any sense of this list. And so he pulls out a diary of lists he used to make. He says, this is if we were all on cruise ships and had to divide into lifeboats. This is if we were on a cruise ship and had to divide into life rafts. This is who would... This is who would eat who in an alive situation. No, that can't be it. So um, that's excellent. I would love to flip through those lists. People also have guests. People also have guesses about Robert's list. Meredith suggests that perhaps they're supposed to have sex with people in their group or perhaps <laughs> in the other group. So everyone. Stanley makes a joke about shoving it up your butt, of course. Kevin thinks it's alphabetical. It's not alphabetical. Dwight suggests that they line up according to the list. Maybe they can see something physically. Okay, face each other, line up by approximate height and weight. Left-siders, attack! <laughs> <laughs> um, and Kevin actually complies with that uh, instruction. Yeah, and Dwight's like smashing people's heads together. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um when they first get the list and they're trying to disperse it to everybody, Jim is going to take a picture on his phone and like text it around or email it or whatever. So he says, Hey Dwight, can you throw me my phone? And Dwight grabs the phone and like does a baseball pitcher wind up and like line drives it into the wall behind Jim at reception. And he says, nice catch. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you threw a fastball. It's not necessary. And I spoke earlier about Pam's hormones um, and how she's crying at everything. She, there's this commercial about a dog that just wants to protect his bone that she keeps watching and obviously cries every time. Jim says, why do you keep watching it if you know it's just going to make you cry? Pam says, because everything makes me cry. So what's the difference? <laughs> and that, that look that Jim had as he sort of like moved from his desk over to Pam's desk to see exactly what she was watching again. Uh, he gives the camera this look and it's, I mean, it's just classic Jim face, Like, come on, you've got to be kidding me with this. Erin, <laughs> I mentioned earlier that there was a great conversation between her and Robert. Robert has picked Aaron to do this uh, really, really intense small talk. He says, describe your day so far. Aaron starts. Well, I woke up. Robert says, when you recount your day, never so you woke up. It's a waste of your time. That's how every day is begun for the beginning of time since the dawn of man. So Erin corrects herself. Suddenly, I was awake. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, yes. Yes, you were. <laughs> you were. I mean, she didn't say that she woke up. I love that. I just want to yeah. I, I want to wake up in the morning and just, ah, I'm awake. <laughs> And suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, I, I, I came to Ryan tries to comfort everybody uh, on the loser list. He says, OK, not to point out the glaringly obvious, but doesn't the fact that I'm in this group make anyone feel just a little bit better? And he takes a bite of pizza and he goes, oh, this crust is sharp. <laughs> this this group of people. Yeah, maybe they're not all winners, but uh, Ryan's not really making a good, good uh, argument in that direction. Kevin, it's sort of a funny moment, sort of a sad moment when, so he is on the winning list and on the left side and he has this talking head. He says, I knew it. I just knew my whole life that everyone was wrong about me. My parents, 
my teachers, my friends, the doctors, everyone. <laughs> that is sad. Oh, uh, the doctors. <laughs> <laughs> but my my favorite Kevin thing in this episode is when they're first trying to like make a photocopy of the notebook. And he says, we need a warning signal. Jim says, we don't need a warning signal, Kevin. We can see him right there. Kevin says, we do. Jim starts to say, I promise you, we don't need a warning. And Robert starts to come out. And so Kevin says, warning, 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 warning. <laughs> Just like a siren kind of thing. And he does the same thing later when they're in lines and Dwight's trying to get them to fight each other. Uh, and Robert walks in again. And so he says, warning, warning. <laughs> it's like, it's not subtle. Not at all. <laughs> Well, moving into deleted scenes, uh, both of these episodes had a, a fair amount. Did you want to get us started? Sure. So Dwight and Jim are trying to lift Kevin, who's planking, off of Dwight's desk. Jim asks for Ryan's help, and Ryan just salutes and then walks away like, I'm definitely not helping. So we cut to a Ryan talking head with a map of how trends move all across the country and the world. Apparently he has. <laughs> either taken this upon himself to study this or he just is BSing this. I don't know. He says they start in Japan, these trends, LA and New York get them next. Seattle looks at it, decides not to do it. Chicago gets three months later. Then it travels down to Mississippi. Okay. All the red States start doing it. Good morning. America does a piece about it. And then it shows up in Scranton. <laughs> <laughs> See, I watching this episode, I was like, man, isn't it a little late for planking? Like, I, I didn't remember exactly when in like the timeline of us being at school or whatever, planking was a thing. Mm -hmm. But I definitely thought this seemed really out of place and just like poor timing. But I guess that's sort of an ongoing thing with the office, especially when Michael was around was he was he was always like holding on to things way longer than the rest of the national con uh, consciousness. Well, I. I looked it up because I kind of thought that too, but somewhere on the internet, I forgot where I got this information. It said 2010, 2011, something like that, which seems really late, but. Yeah. I mean, I it would have probably been like holiday season 2010 into the first few months of 2011. And this would have been still several months later. So yeah. uh, I just loved that there was a deleted scene with Ryan, our, our uh, hipster social media connoisseur or whatever uh <laughs> explaining this I, I just thought it was so funny and then later to tie this all up ryan we see a uh, a clip of him perched on top of the refrigerator <laughs> and so we get another ryan talking head he says it's called owling you'll hear about it in like eight months <laughs> <laughs> sure i don't okay. think i remember hearing about that one but <laughs> yeah uh we get creed planking joining the the fad and Andy panics and he runs out. He thinks Creed might be dead because he's an old man. And he's laying face down on the ground and he learns, oh, he was just planking. He says, Creed, it's a safety issue with you because there's no way to tell if you're dead. <laughs> At all. No way. Yeah. And then we get into Gabe, who is still around. We get a couple of deleted scenes with him. Uh, he explains in a deleted scene that corporate wanted him in Scranton. And Dunder Mifflin wanted him in Tallahassee. And so he's spending Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in Scranton and Tuesday and Thursday in Tallahassee. That is a lot of travel. Like split a lot of a week and half. You yeah, have to do gosh, that. Gosh, that is, it's, it's insane. And I, 
I would assume the company would pay for that. But I mean, what if not? Who knows? I don't know. I think I think this is uh, reiterated in a future episode with Gabe. Uh, but yeah, that's that's why Gabe is still around is because nobody really wants him. And so he's he's taking time between two different places. He says more money, more problems. But I didn't get a raise. So same money, more problems. <laughs> <laughs> After Dwight asks Jim what side of the list he's on, Stanley and Kelly want to know, too. So Jim reads a list of names accidentally starting to say old man pam suggests it might be a team building thing that robert and andy are working on so they ask andy he says he thinks it's kind of cool not knowing it's like the story that ends in a mystery did the butler do it are they ghosts he thinks it's sophisticated kelly argues that everyone hates those endings and pam agrees so no one (laughs) needs this they just want to know what the list means and then right after we get a glimpse of everybody in the office holding their own photocopy of the list. And so we're walking around, they're all looking and we get to accounting and Oscar stands up and walks over to Kevin's desk and is going to say something to him. And he notices that Kevin is holding his upside down. And so he just like reaches over and flips it over for Kevin <laughs> without saying anything. And Kevin defensively says, I was, I was looking for patterns. And Oscar just says, I know. so kind i know ryan suggests that this list thing is all a mind game that robert wanted them to see the list creed says that he made a list like this when he worked for congress in hollywood in the 50s that they're meaningless (laughs) that okay that's a it's a mccarthyism joke a red scare joke because this was this was cold war yep and the government was accusing people of treason (laughs) yeah in connection with communism and so they're suggesting that creed turned over a list of names of people in hollywood to the government and that's the whole joe mccarthy the hollywood thing threw me off because i was like in congress in hollywood he he worked for congress in hollywood got it yeah so remember there was a movie that came out a couple years ago i think it was pretty small but it was uh brian cranston trumbo uh, yeah. Trumbo was a Hollywood executive or something who was caught up in the communism uh, accusations. Got you. Oh, so that was that's the joke. Funny. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I misheard. I thought it said worked in Congress in Hollywood, and I was like, "Does he know that Congress is not in Hollywood?" <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, caught up. Toby thinks that these lists are inconsequential. It's going to be okay. He thinks that everyone has made a really solid first impression and that there's no need for anyone to worry. And then we get a Toby talking head. He says, I am on the wrong side and I am freaking out here. (laughs) (laughs) So just put out a brave face for everybody. Right. (laughs) There is a hysterical deleted scene where they're at lunch with the other winners and Jim is the first to order his meal. He says, I want a chicken piccata with a side salad. And Robert from across the table says, that sounds good. And he orders the same thing. And then it goes around the table and every single person (laughs) orders a chicken piccata with a side salad. Sometimes they switch it around. Oscar says, I'll have a side salad. And then uh, hmm, the chicken piccata. (laughs) And so it goes around the entire table and everybody orders this. And the waitress is making a funny face and Jim is making a funny face. Like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) And then it gets to Dwight, the last person. He says, I'll have a steak rare rare <laughs> i i think my favorite thing about this is that everyone kind of hems and haws and phrases it differently 
to appear as if they're being independent, but they're not. It's like, <laughs> not at as all. As you said, it's like, I'll start with the side salad and then the chicken piccata. Or it's like, I'll have the chicken piccata with a side salad on the side. <laughs> it's like, they'll, they'll phrase it slightly differently just to, just to be individuals. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, and uh, to cap that off, uh, Oscar has a talking head right after that. He says, this means nothing. And I, I want to go on record. I said it first. And Toby <laughs> when he says, didn't, actually. He did not. Not <laughs> even close. And then Toby says, we've been, we've been taken here to be fired. <laughs> so okay. I, I guess he changes his mind and he realizes, oh, maybe this isn't the list to be fired. These people are talking intellectually about Sesame Street and I have no idea what it's going on. So I got to go. So, anyways, Toby's conflicted. So Jim tries to text Pam at lunch, but Robert catches him. In the main episode, he didn't catch him, and the text went through. But in the deleted scene, Pam receives a Pam receives a text that says, "This is Ryan." Says, "Profound man, your husband." <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Dwight at the end of the meal says, "Hey Robert, can we?" Can we cover your meal? Because, I mean, this has been such a treat, such a pleasure. Robert says, I can expense this lunch. It won't cost anybody anything. And Daryl and Oscar tell Dwight, let him expense it. And Dwight insists, we're going to pay for it. And a waiter comes up and says, Mr. Schrute, I've waited on you before. And just so you know, tips aren't included in the bill, but they are expected. And Dwight says, oh, they're expected? Well, expect to be shocked. So he's not planning on tipping. <laughs> and then he starts reading out to everybody how much they owe him as he covers the bill. And it's fourteen seventy five for everybody because everybody ordered the same thing. The exact same thing. <laughs> There's also the scene where Dwight cheerses. Cheers, Robert California. Don't know the verb there. Uh, Jim says, I don't think we have to do this again because it's going to take the whole thing. But it's too late. The entire t uh, table, the whole round huge table of people has to cheers and clink each individual glass and it takes so long <laughs> yeah we we uh in my friend group always call it clinkies <laughs> clinkies <laughs> very adult of us very adult <laughs> uh when they get back to the office uh dwight is spraying a champagne bottle in the parking lot and uh they're they're celebrating being winners and jim's frustrated with him but the funniest thing about this particular deleted scene to me was at the very end of it uh there's some sort of insect flying around by angela and phyllis and angela breaks character as it flies close to her she like shrieks and steps out of the way uh and they left it in yeah yeah we get the one gabe scene really in the deleted scenes so the gabe is at the loser lunch as it were he says he used to tell himself that if he could just be successful, he'd be one of them, one of the happy ones. But now people just use his success as a new way to shut him out, which he's getting kind of profound and sad. And Meredith curses at him and tells him that this isn't Breakfast Club. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> OK, and now he's that's that's his one scene and he gets kicked out of it, you know. Uh, Pam has a talking head. She says, Michael believed in me so much. And she's so happy about it. And she says, and this guy thinks I'm a loser. And he's way smarter than Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Pam. Andy takes some candy from, from reception. Usually when I'm feeling off, candy makes everything okay, he says. But right now I actually feel nothing. Aaron says, well, my philosophy is if you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, eventually you'll get a different result. Just keep trying. 
Then as Andy walks over to comfort Robert, he's muttering, sorry, not (laughs) to comfort. Then as Andy walks over to confront Robert, he's muttering to himself to convince himself to stop. He says, stop doing this. Why are you doing this? Don't go over there. He does not feel comfortable, I don't think, as manager yet. Um, but he's he's really trying to force himself to be that role. And the deleted scenes close with Robert uh, having his own talking head. He says, I can't believe they did that, talking about everybody looking through his notebook and distributing it and whatever. He sort of laughs about it. And then he points his thumb over his shoulder and says, what kind of people are they? So. Yeah, and and we're really left with no impression of what he thinks of them at all is he offended is he impressed um he's such an he's such an enigma robert um Mm -hmm. that he kind of laughs and smiles and looks disturbed and it's like okay well what what do you really think of this office but no hints yet now closing up our episode discussion with the discussion topic um i just wanted to talk a little bit more about why robert moved andy's name obviously it has something to do with asking about the list but like what exactly uh convinced robert okay andy's loser i guess i gotta move his name over in the moment what do you have any ideas about that um because i mean it's a fairly innocent thing he was asking on behalf of everybody else the only thing i can really think of is that perhaps he thought that andy was the one that photocopied it and distributed it Mm-hmm. which would be inappropriate and it was inappropriate although it wasn't andy that did it um otherwise i really don't know uh my only thought was it's because andy didn't shut it down and instead got sucked into the anxiety of it all and then was pressured as a manager by his employees into confronting a guy about something out of his personal journal right so i mean and because he didn't own up to his part of it uh, yes, this was sort of thrust on Andy by his employees, and he did initially try and turn him away. Uh, but when Robert says, you photocopied it and distributed it, Andy laughs says, no, they did. And they were the ones who wanted to know. Uh, so he he's trying to throw everything on his employees, which as a manager of people, you really can't do. You have to take responsibility for your actions and for your employees' actions, as Michael learned back in uh, season five with uh, weight loss. Mm, yeah. Well, our next episode of discussion is the incentive. It aired on September twenty. It aired on September twenty ninth, twenty eleven. Directed by Charles McDougall and written by Paul Lieberstein. As Andy continues to run the branch, he thinks he's found his groove as manager until Robert tells him he expects the branch to double their growth from the previous quarter. He struggles at first to come up with any concrete ideas, but eventually he creates an incentive program and makes promises that incentivize a little too well. Interesting episode here, uh, specifically for Andy. So Robert is still around. Robert's still hanging around the uh, conference room. And as you said, he isn't thrilled with Andy's projections for Dunder Mifflin. He thinks that they can do way better and he wants them to double growth which is crazy uh, task, but that's what he has to do. And Robert launches unprompted into a speech about small business. He says, let me tell you how I buy something these days. You... Sorry. He says, let me tell you how I buy something these days. I know what I want. I go on the internet. I get the best price. Or I don't know what I want, and I go into a small store that can help me. The era of personal service is back. You are back. I'll find that customers will pay our higher prices. 
And then they will thank us and we will say to them, you are welcome. And everyone <laughs> applauds. And he says to Andy, he says, Andrew calls him by his full name. I chose you for a reason. Lead these people. Show me the best numbers this place has ever seen. Last quarter, we saw 4% growth. Double it. it. It's this call to action and it's, it's inspiring to everyone. I mean, they applaud. And he makes a good point that if you provide good enough customer service, people will pay the higher price. And that's the reason that Dunder Mifflin is still in existence. So it's inspiring, but it's also a really scary task because doubling growth is <laughs> very difficult, obviously. Mm -hmm. And for a guy who has no managerial experience and wasn't a great salesman before he was manager. Um, right. I do like that Robert calls Andy Andrew because it matures him, I think. It's like he really does have high expectations and high faith in Andy, or at least some idea of faith in Andy. Um, and Andy is still sort of superficially concerned with Robert's opinion of him. He starts the episode interrupting Dwight's meeting with the rest of the staff uh, with, hey, I need help picking out a tie and tie clip to impress Robert. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I say it's superficial, but Robert does compliment his tie when he walks in. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Andy says, you know, I'm still forming a first impression with Robert. It's not how that works, but it's telling that he's still trying so hard to make Robert like him in some capacity. And he even accidentally has a bit of a, a Freudian slip, Freudian slip and calls Robert dad. So there's some clear daddy issues that Andy has, which I think we've gotten a little bit of a glimpse of before. Um. And he is sort of projecting that onto Robert. He's just another, I wouldn't call him a father figure, but sort of a father figure uh, in that he's an older man who's in charge of Andy, who he's trying to impress, which seems to echo back to his personal life. So Andy is freaking out about this growth thing, and he's relying on the staff to come up with the solution to do this. He, as you said, was not a great salesman. And he's manager now, and Robert tasked him with this. So he's just trying to grill the office and see if they have ways to do this. So he turns to Jim, and Jim just turns the question right back to Andy and says, like, this is your job. Dwight doesn't even pretend to help. He starts talking about how quickly children grow up and some weird stuff. Like, Dwight just doesn't want to help Andy, and this is probably because Dwight is not manager. If Dwight was manager, he would be taking this with you know, all of his effort, but he doesn't want to help Andy do, do the job that Dwight thinks he could do better, which leads to um, Dwight in the kitchen where Andy finds him and Dwight assumes that Andy wants to know his thoughts on doubling growth. Andy kind of sidesteps that question and asks Dwight about his farm. How are, how are the beets? How are sales? You know, and then Andy says, wow, I, I bet there's some way you could double beet sales. <laughs> And Dwight just snaps at him. He says, you wanted the job. The job is yours. Just do the job. So, yeah, Dwight's not super keen on helping Andy do this task. Yeah, he even said as much in a talking head. He says, here's how I'm going to help out from now on. I'm going to not care. And I'm going to sit around quietly waiting for Andy's inevitable demise. So he's just trying to be as passive as possible and let time take its course in his eyes. Uh, because he thinks Andy's doomed to fail eventually. And now that Robert is asking for so much extra, uh, he thinks that the time is ripe for that to happen soon. Now, 
Andy does eventually come up with an idea, as I mentioned earlier, and as the title of the episode alludes to, he comes up with an incentive program where they get points for doing their job better, and then they can cash in those points for prizes like stuffed animals, John Irving's collected works, binoculars, a maternity shirt, a sari, a couple of vibrators. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a very strange assortment. It's almost I, I would almost venture to say it's maybe stuff. Not all of it, but maybe some of it is stuff that he already had in his possession that maybe he wasn't able to sell at the garage sale at the end of the or at the end of the previous season. But he he's come up with something, even if it is like a middle school fundraiser. It's something, and he starts making promises for large point cash-ins, like for five hundred, I'll wear a dress to work. Uh, for a thousand, I will run naked through the parking lot with a donut on my ding dong. And for five thousand, they or for five thousand, he will let the employees pick a tattoo to put on his butt. And his big mistake was he said that they could pool their points together and redeem the prizes together. So uh the five thousand dollar ink on the butt incentive was a little too tempting and Everybody turns into like a productivity madhouse. It is noisy in a focused, busy way. Everybody is working hard, including Creed, Stanley. It's, it's like a newsroom. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly like I was trying to think of an analogy earlier. I'm glad you came up with one because that's exactly what it's like. It's like hot off the presses. Everybody's spitting out everything as fast, as fast and as uh, much as they can. Stanley is enthusiastically talking about the power of the pyramid, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Uh, and Kevin is doing calculations on two calculators at once. Uh, I, I hope he's doing it right, but I mean, wow. To, to incentivize people in this way to work this hard, Andy's come up with something, and he realizes he's come up with something maybe just a little bit too much. <laughs> And what's funny is at first I was thinking like, oh, well, he could just not award points because his system at first didn't seem super specific. He said you mm -hmm. earn points by, quote, doing your job better. Mm -hmm. But it turns out he sent them an email with full rules and regulations. And Dwight, sorry, Jim even hands Andy a breakdown of the points he's earned and so these <laughs> these rules are set you get certain points for doing certain things and there's really no negotiating that because andy has created these rules and sent them out to everyone and they're itemized rules so he's kind of sol here um by the end of the workday one day the office succeeded in their mission andy's going to get a tattoo on his butt uh, oops, he did not think that was going to happen because he thought 5,000 points was an insane amount. No one could ever get that, but he did say they could pool. So they decide to have a baby tattooed coming out of his butt. Ooh. Very classy. And they go to the tattoo parlor. Andy freaks out a little or a lot before getting the tattoo. He goes outside and Jim follows him out there and Jim kind of has his patented talk and he says no one expects you to go through with this okay we get it and andy asks jim why did robert choose me what am i doing here i don't know what i'm doing i don't manage and he's he says my butt's only so big i can't do this every time i can't 
Like this isn't the way to manage. I can't get tattoos all over my body. Um, Jim jokes that it's big enough to give him some time until this next great idea, which Jim can't wait for. So really nice, weird motivational talk here. Um, Jim thinks he can do it. So Andy, understanding that no one expects him to go through with this, decides to do it, which I think is what makes Andy a, a really great manager at this point. He's he's exceeding expectations, and when someone expects him to fail, he chooses to succeed. Really, really nice moment out there between Jim and Andy. Michael would never have done this. No. I mean, he couldn't come up with a surprise back in season one when he promised a surprise you know like something as insignificant as that he couldn't he couldn't wing he couldn't fully come up with i mean he couldn't come up with anything here's andy though making a promise and fulfilling it at the end of the day even when nobody expects him to so i mean in that regard andy has already surpassed michael now michael grew a lot from season one that's not the point i'm trying to make um but Andy is making big strides here at the beginning. And yeah, this was a silly idea, but it was a silly idea that yielded big results. And in following through with what he promised him, he is making a promise for all of his future ventures that whatever we come up with, whatever we work towards together, I will do my part. And I think that's really cool. He's making work fun for everybody, and he should be proud of that. And so he does go through with it. Instead of the baby coming out of his butt, though, that they had originally proposed, they sneakily switch uh, to another proposal that Pam uh, came up with. And they don't say anything about it to Andy, but they give it to the tattoo artist. And he looks afterward awkwardly in the parking lot (laughs) at somebody's vehicle. And it's a nard dog. It's a little... A little dog with a sweater on that says Nard on it. So it's a Nard dog. And he's really proud of it. It's a, he says, that's my nickety name. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's really great. Everybody's paying him off. Like, yeah, this could have been a lot more humiliating. He could have a baby coming out of his butt. Uh, yeah, they still tattooed his butt. But they came up with something that's sort of a brand for Andy. It's, it's on brand for Andy. Uh, and something that maybe he can be a little bit proud of. Uh, Which I just can't believe that. <laughs> He actually went through with it at all. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I'm very shocked by that. And then we get this, this, um, not a talking head, but a, uh, a voiceover of Robert. And I don't want to go too much into it because it is my discussion topic, but he says, why did I choose Andy to run the office? Because he's all surface uncomplicated. What you see is what you get. Could be a recipe for mediocrity. Yes. But then again, it might just be why people fight for him. There's something about an underdog that really inspires the unexceptional. Which begs a lot of questions, uh, which I'd like to get into later. Okay. Last couple of things to talk about in this episode. There wasn't really much else going on. Angela is still being obnoxiously pregnant. Uh, She's like, again, trying to make it a competition. So she lays a magazine, I think it's Parenthood or something like that, on Pam's desk and says, have you read this issue? Specifically, the article talking about how important it is to walk while you're pregnant, go on walks while you're pregnant. She said, I'll be taking a morning walk and an afternoon walk. Would you like to join me? And so Pam joins Angela for these walks. And at the very end of the episode, it's like the last thing we see pretty much. um, 
there on their afternoon walk and Angela, ba- I, I wrote subtweets because that's basically <laughs> what it is. She subtweets Pam to her face about a pregnant coworker. It's about, it's an ethical dilemma. Uh, a, a, she's got a pregnant coworker who's drinking caffeine and Pam says, you know, it's just herbal tea, right? And Angela says that you're drinking out of cups with trace amounts of coffee. Oh my goodness. Oh my, my goodness. Uh... Uh, Pam says, okay, well, maybe you should just call social services. Angela says, I already did. (laughs) Obviously, nothing came from that. They probably laughed and hung up on her, if I had to guess. Um, And Pam says, you know what? Maybe we should just have our own pregnancies and not pretend like we're in this together. Like we're in this together. So maybe there was a moment where they had a little bit of a friendship and they could have had something to do together, but Angela had to go and ruin it. So, sorry. Saber is now selling triangle-shaped tablets called the Pyramid, which is already problematic, and I've just started talking about it. It's <laughs> huge and heavy. It only holds 50 L of data, which I don't know of an L. Um, but yeah, presumably not much data. It's useless. And Dwight is running the meeting on the new tablets, and Andy interrupts with a question about what tie he should wear to impress Robert. Dwight says what you said earlier about here's how I'm going to help out from now on. I'm going to not care and uh, wait for Andy's demise. So, yeah, so Saber, that's that's sort of the update on them. Seems like quite a stretch, these triangle tablets. Yeah, they they do not seem like a good idea. And I did look. I don't think L is actually a, uh, a data storage <laughs> size. It's not a thing. I looked to see if there was some sort of conversion somewhere. And maybe there is, but it's like nothing uses it right (laughs) even back in the days of floppy disks you were at least at kilobytes right so uh anyways that's all i had for character moments so let's go into the cold open which is one of my absolute favorites (laughs) kevin is speaking in single words and short phrases and jim has brought him something to to fix uh a piece of paperwork he says can you find the original for me kevin says yes me do <laughs> and jim walks off and he pauses for a moment and he's what did i hear what i just heard do i need to do something about it and so it cuts to jim and pam talking to kevin at his desk and he's continuing this broken speech he says me do it now go stop worry me feel good body strong sleep big last night <laughs> and uh they're like are you feeling all right y- y- you sure yeah, I think we did take you to the hospital. Yeah, Kevin, come with us. And Oscar and Angela both speak up and say, he's fine. He's always been like this. Angela says, maybe he's he's gotten worse over the years. And Oscar insinuates that uh, Kevin is making an ironic comment on our expectations of him. Uh, but Kevin explains what's actually going on. He says, me mechanic, not speak English, but he know what me mean when me say, car no go. And we best friends. So me think, why waste time say lot word when few word do trick? <laughs> and, and so they bring him to Andy and Andy basically says, yeah, we have a word code. It's the same way we have a dress code. What we're talking about is basically the speech equivalent to just wearing underpants. Sometimes words, you know, need use, but need need for talk talk. <laughs> <laughs> and they go on this long speech. I, I, I wish I could just read the, I mean, I could, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. And uh, they eventually convince him. He says, fine, fine. I'll talk normally. But then he has one last talking head. He says, when me president, they see. 
they see. <laughs> this is like the most quoted Kevin thing, I think. Uh, it is so good. I, I quote that all the time. I think my favorite bit of that was the SeaWorld bit. When he's, <laughs> when he's asked, what are you going to do with all the spare time that you save doing this? And he says, SeaWorld. And Jim says, okay, see, I don't know if you're saying see the world or SeaWorld. And Kevin says, oceans, fish, jump, China. <laughs> yeah, still, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the theme park or seeing the actual world. Hmm. Andy uh, has some great moments in this episode. One very inappropriate moment, besides, of course, his sex toys as uh, incentive prizes, but Andy calls Oscar C-SPAN. He's all about these nicknames now. So Dwight mm. is D-Dub Dog, I think. Um, Aaron is E-Dog. Pam is P-Dog, all this stuff. He also but, calls Dwight D-Bone at one point, I think. Yeah. He, he gives Dwight a couple different nicknames. But Oscar is C-SPAN. And when asked, he says, yeah, C-SPAN, as in Cocker Spaniel. Spaniel because of your Spanish bloodline and Cocker because, and thankfully he's cut off. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, Andy. <laughs> Robert says, Andy, do you know why I chose you? And he says, I think I can sum it up with what I think is your favorite ice cream flavor. Vanilla? <laughs> Robert says, vanilla? No, 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 no. You'll never guess in a million billion years. You'll never guess. <laughs> like it all of a sudden turns into, no, my taste in ice cream is so far beyond vanilla you can't even comprehend you didn't know that this flavor existed <laughs> i really want to know what it is me too andy is very devoted to the people of the office very early he says my heart belongs to music but my ass belongs to these people <laughs> uh, when of course he's getting his tattoo um it really does belong to them by the end of this episode and when he lays down for the tattoo he pulls his pants all the way down and just hops up on the table and the tattoo artist is like uh you don't need to pull your pants all the way down i'd kind of rather you didn't pull your pants all the way down you can just sort of ooch them off your cheeks and that's fine <laughs> and andy says oh they're already off sir and frankly i'm sweating a lot down there anyways so <laughs> it's better that they they have room to breathe <laughs> uh and then right after that uh, andy says this is where i grin and bear and he's he gets cut off he goes ow ow the tattoo artist says, that was just the cotton swab. And Andy says, invest in softer cotton, sir. <laughs> if you can't handle the cotton, uh, you're definitely not ready for the, the needle. <laughs> Aaron offers Robert a cold beverage while he visits, and Robert asks for coffee. I love this. So Aaron enters Andy's office with coffee, overflowing, and ice cold. Robert says, well, this is ice cold. And she says, well, I asked if you wanted a cold drink and you said coffee. Well, he, yeah, he did. He did say <laughs> coffee and you specifically offered him a cold beverage, but <laughs> she followed those directions a little bit too closely. The funniest parts for me are when he says, this is, this is cold. And she very proudly says, yes, it's old. <laughs> like, yes, I, I got exactly what you asked me for. <laughs> And then uh, the the look he gives her, like, how can you not just comprehend basic human like communication? I, it, it, <laughs> the, the look he gives her is classic. And that's when uh, I this could go in character moments. But uh, Andy says, why don't we get Robert a nice hot fresh cup and I will have this. And Aaron says, Andy, don't want that. He said, I've been craving a freezing cup of old coffee. And he takes a sip and it's gross, obviously, because it's not meant to be cold. Um 
And so Robert points out, you like her. And he says, I, I do. He says, she likes you. And he says, you know, we've both been into each other at different times and we just never really synced up. And now we're in this weird dance and Robert interrupts him and says, I'm afraid you've lost my interest. (laughs) (laughs) I like how he starts the conversation and stops it when it becomes less interesting. (laughs) I would love to be able to use that. Oh, I'm afraid (laughs) you've lost my interest. Sorry. (laughs) Also, after Aaron um, brings Robert his hot coffee, finally, she kisses him on the cheek. (laughs) Um, after his impassioned speech about small business. So he he clearly won Aaron over. Uh, Dwight is later making brownies in the kitchen when Andy comes and confronts him about doubling beet profits. And Dwight says walnuts as he starts to pour them into the brownie batter. And we hear, no! (laughs) And the camera turns and Kevin is standing outside the kitchen door looking through the blinds at Dwight preparing this brownie batter. He's apparently not a nut fan. Daryl's ex-wife comes in and sees Kevin at the fax machine behind reception. She asks for Daryl, and Kevin is very, very emphatic in telling her that he is not the receptionist. He is not meant to represent the company, and that is very important that she know that. I'm just using the fax machine. There's usually an errand here, he says. (laughs) And then he just screams, Daryl! A girl! (laughs) (laughs) He completely panics. (laughs) And speaking of Justine, uh, earlier in the episode when he first learned that uh, Justine was coming over, this is Daryl's ex-wife. He says, wait, I thought she was a beep, and you (laughs) beep hated her guts. And everyone's offended, like, come on, Kevin, I can't believe you'd use those words. Daryl says, no, 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 I like her. Kevin says, well, I'm just quoting you. I would never say that about her. I don't know the woman. Uh, you, you still said the things. A <laughs> couple of funny ones about the incentive prize. So Jim just made 120 points on a big sale and he hands it over to Andy, who is shocked. 120 points. Jim says, oh, hey, don't worry about it. I don't really care about the points. I would like a points receipt, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then Aaron has created one of those thermometer style tracking charts where you fill up the th- the thermometer until you hit your goal. Mm -hmm. But instead of a thermometer, it's a drawing of Andy's legs and butt. (laughs) And they quickly reach the top of the chart, which is Andy's butt. (laughs) Too good. Uh, Another office thing that I quote all the time, uh, Daryl, in telling us about his ex-wife, he says, yeah, we had a few fights, I suppose. But last night, we put a lot of that to bed. I can't tell you what I did with my ex-wife last night. I have to sing it. We took a shower. We were naked. We <laughs> my my roommate and I sing that all the time, which is really <laughs> awkward because we're two guys, but it's still really funny because Daryl. Because <clears throat> Daryl. Dwight, I love this line from him. Who he, he's still very just annoyed at Andy for having the job and existing. And he says, Okay, obviously you can go the ass tattoo route. And obviously, I'm going to like it. <laughs> and then we hear him at the parlor yell, draw some blood. <laughs> He's enjoying Andy's pain. Uh, my last one. Uh, when Robert first goes out to the office to have his little speech about the other big suppliers being scared of them, 
Um, he says, if the office superstore was supposed to put us little suppliers out of business, why are we still here? Kevin says, this is where we go. And Robert says, oh, you go someplace else. That's not it. That's not the answer. Kevin says, it's a answer. <laughs> Robert says, it's a wrong answer. <laughs> Kevin says, there are no wrong answers. And Robert just ignores that and moves on. Take a look at where you are. And we're, uh, it's, uh, yeah. He just leaves Kevin behind. We also have several deleted scenes on this episode, starting with um, an Andy talking head. He says, when you're a kid, you picture a pilot kind of like this. And he, had, he imitates a plane like shaking and bouncing wildly. But then he says, but then you learn that that's crashing the plane. The right way to do it is more like this. And he imitates a calm, you know, steering of a, of a plane, as it were. Mm-hmm. And he says, or better yet, like this. And he takes his hands off the wheel or off the controls. He says, now that I'm manager, I think about that a lot. I let Dwight run the meetings. I let good people do good work and I stay out of the way. Um. Which, I love that. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't have to be all over your team all the time. If they're a well-running machine, then you are tweaking instead of, you know, controlling all the time. Mm-hmm. But then there's a later deleted scene where Andy has a talking head saying, you know, I thought the plane was flying really well in autopilot, but then Robert showed up in the cockpit with a gun and he told me to fly to Cuba and bomb Texas on the way. But I don't know how to get there or even how to fly even. And I don't have any bombs. <laughs> So he he lost control of his scenario. Andy is trying to uh, impress Robert with these ties. Phyllis just says, wear one of your bow ties. Kelly is vehemently against this. She says, no. I mean, he should explore some other options. And then Kelly has a talking head. She says, bow ties, no offense, are a black thing. They're for rappers and NBA players. I cringe when I see Tucker Carlson trying to pull off a bow tie. It's like, yeah, Tucker, you're so street. <laughs> and then um, Andy tries to pull off some other combinations, including tie clips and how he can't find an occasion for this tie clip. And Jim suggests I could think of a bunch of occasions for it, like a 70s themed party or a 70s themed meeting or a 70s convention. Jim then suggests perhaps it's the 1870s. Uh, so Andy's just concerned over the tie thing more than he is, I think, his duties as manager right now. But taking every opportunity to impress Robert. We get a pretty big deleted scene with Daryl and Justine. We, we hear why she came to the office to talk to him. Uh, apparently, he said something that gave his daughter hope about him and Justine possibly getting back together. And even Daryl, uh, in talking with the other people at the office, seemed hopeful that things were going to be mended between him and his ex-wife. And Justine yells at him in his office, says, it was a one-time thing. I told you it was a one-time thing. It was touch and go. Now you need to stay the hell away from me. And so she storms out. And obviously, I mean, Daryl's office isn't necessarily fully enclosed. So everybody heard everything. and so. Uh, she leaves in a storm, and Daryl just awkwardly says, uh, yeah, she was she was real happy to meet all y'all. Uh, mm. Poor Daryl. I mean, that explains why we don't see any Justine in the future. Uh, but yeah, that, that was the big deal. He was excited, but he got shut down. Dwight talking head, he says, just look at Gemini. One of us is blind, ambition. The other is all, well, whatever, dude, just wants to smell the flowers. And we're both in exactly the same place. 
do you know that I have never smelled a flower? I live on a farm and I have never smelled a flower. I just want to enjoy the people around here. Everyone has a story and I can't wait to hear them. He's kind of, you know, being sassy. Mm-hmm. Later, we see Dwight walking to his car and he sees a flower on the bush and he smiles and sticks his nose directly into it. He gasps and he's angry. He says, that's it. That's what people have been talking about. That stupid <laughs> smell. I mean, it's all right, I guess. But how is it better than me clawing my way to the top? It's not even that great an odor. I'll take dirt or a smoking gun barrel or bacon or blood. <laughs> people stop for that. <laughs> he was just so upset. Aaron and Andy go to the cafe in the lobby to brainstorm ideas for growth. Uh, Andy says, I don't have any. Aaron says, what if we adopt 15 to 20 foster children and we'd get tons of money and checks from the government and the kids would love living in the warehouse. It'd be like Hogwarts. (laughs) Andy says, it's a nice thought, but it's not legal. (laughs) And then she pulls out a little gift box um, like you'd see for jewelry or something. And she says, this is to officially congratulate you on the job. And he opens it up and it's a small toy mouse. It looks like a cat toy. And she's made it into a keychain. She says, I saw it at the checkout counter and I don't know why, but it made me think of you. And he thanks her and says, you're the only one who has congratulated me. Which, again, makes me think to his parents. I mean, I would assume if he, uh, if his parents had congratulated him, he would have said, except for my parents. But it doesn't seem that way. So, parent issues. Probably the last one for me. I don't understand where this came from. You might have a better idea, but Dwight's in the break room eating a carrot when Daryl walks in and Dwight says, there he is, the snack man, snack attack. Perfect day for a snack. No, a cheat day. What'll it be? Chips, candy, a giant cookie, soda? And Daryl's at the vending machine and uh, picks a snack and Dwight says, a decision has been made. The chunk falls, just like food falls into your stomach. Have you always worn a belt? Talk to you later. <laughs> and he's just munching on this giant carrot. And I, I have no idea where this came into play or why Dwight's doing this. But yeah, it was funny. It was just, I yeah. didn't understand. I Just fat shaming, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, Daryl's clearly depressed. And I guess he does look like he's gained a little bit of weight. Um, he was talking in the previous episode about how he's got that soda to live for right now that he's excited about. So yeah, Dwight was just being really rude. I mean, it's funny, but it's rude. (laughs) Uh, I don't have any more. Did you have the discussion topic? Yes. So I want to reread that Robert California quote about Andy and sort of dissect a little bit. I don't necessarily have a bunch of questions on it other than it's, it's just full of a lot of, meat. So I want to talk about that. Robert says, why did I choose Andy to run the office? Because he's all surface uncomplicated. What you see is what you get. Could be a recipe for mediocrity, yes, but then again, it might just be why people fight for him. There's there's something about an underdog that really inspires the unexceptional. So was it the fact that Andy's an underdog that inspired the office or something else? Robert doesn't seem to have a very high I don't know, regard for anyone. What do you think about this? Um, I think he has a point. I think it's a pretty cynical view. Um, but I mean, look at Rocky, for example. I mean, you, you think of underdog stories, you think Rocky, at least mm-hmm. I do. 
Um, and Rocky wasn't trying to win the first fight. He was just proving that he could hold his own. Um, and so I think that sort of the same thing with Andy we talked about in the last episode, that he's just trying to prove that he deserves this job that was bestowed upon him, quite literally. He he got lucky that he got this job, and so he's trying to prove himself. And so um, what he says, what Robert says is true. He What you see is what you get. He knows these people. They know him. Uh, he's been on their level for a long time. And so to see one of their own sort of ascend, and I don't know where else to go with this, but to... to that's inspiring of it in its in and of itself to show that he cares about them and is trying to make a difference in how they do work and how much work they get done. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm sort of rambling, but yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. I think it's uh, a combination. I mean, of Andy being a likable person, an underdog, and the good idea of the incentive program. I mean, the program worked. Mm-hmm. It was some pretty drastic reward on Andy's end, but it worked. They had one really productive day. And if they could keep doing that, I mean, it's not necessarily sustainable, but as Jim said, it worked. Um, But really he's a likable guy. And I don't think people would have changed the tattoo if they didn't like him. I don't think that they would have even necessarily gone through with it. If they didn't like him, if it was somebody that they hated as manager, they probably just wouldn't have even, humored him i i don't know um but robert i think you're right does have a point they all like andy as a person and while he's a bit uninspiring he's also not like that that's sort of what makes him inspiring is i think what robert is saying um and i think we're going to learn more about what he means by that as we keep watching but it was a really interesting little monologue that I just kept reading over mm-hmm. and over because it was just, I don't know, there was a lot in that. Yeah, and I, I think there is something to be said about picking somebody that you know is going to be at a certain level. Like Michael was sort of a wild card. He wasn't an underdog in any sense of the word. You you couldn't predict what Michael was going to do. Andy, for the most part, pretty predictable, pretty pretty white bread. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It it just gives uh, an easier example to follow because you know what to expect from him consistently. Right. Before we say goodbye in this episode, we are going to go through some quick voicemails. Our first one is from Corey. Hey, Jen, Katie, this is Corey. A uh, quick question uh, from the pilot episode up until the latest episode that you guys have recorded. If you had to answer, what would your what would you say is your least favorite uh, Jim and Dwight prank moment? Uh, I guess prank from Jim's side of uh, or point of view. Um, would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Okay, so what is our least favorite Jim and Dwight prank moment? And I read through a whole big list of these to see if any stood out. Um, and really, the only ones that don't like get me to laugh very much, I mean, the red wire isn't all that special to me. Um, and then the snowball fight, just the, 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 the sort of pettiness and terrorism, it, 
instigates, I, I would list those two as my least favorite, the snowball fight and classic Christmas. Mine was classic Christmas as well. Um, mostly on Dwight's end, actually. The red wire I thought was pretty funny. But really anything destructive, and this is such a little one, but it always just kind of irked me. Like when Jim puts Dwight's tie in his coffee, it's like, come on. That was <laughs> it's just you can't get that out. I don't know. Or, <laughs> well, that or, was after a long hiatus of not was. pranking. <laughs> I know. Because it was right after the assistant or, or the co-manager job. Right, right. Or maybe when Jim tricked Dwight and he walked in on Meredith in the bathroom, really just for Meredith's sake, that's an invasion of privacy, stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't really have any pr- like pranks that make me upset. I know there's some people that don't like certain Jim pranks because he thinks that because I think that he's mean or something, but I don't really, I don't necessarily think that I would have to say that the snowball fight is my least favorite. Yeah. Our second voicemail is from Chad from Indianapolis. Here we go. Hey, Chad and Katie, it's Chad from Indianapolis. Uh, just, uh, finished up listening to your, uh, recap of threat level midnight, the full movie. And I thought it was weird that they got Toby Gardner to, to be in the movie because, you guys remember, he was only in the office in the uh, Scranton branch for a day. So how do you think that Michael convinced him to come on? And you know, do, do you think that they just filmed that the one scene in the couple hours he was there? Or, you know, what's your what's your guys' take on why Toby was in the film? Uh, we did actually address this when we talked about the Threat Level Midnight episode of the show. Not the, the full movie. We talked about it for the, the episode uh, because it was addressed in the commentary by BJ Novak. Uh, He said they tried to come up with a timeline, uh, a reason for everybody's appearance in the the movie. And he said their reasoning for uh, Tony being there after only being there for a day before quitting slash being fired uh, was that most people would be open to being in a movie if they were asked. So so Tony obliged Michael by participating. Maybe it was Michael reaching out to say, hey, sorry, I fired you. Would you like to be in my movie? I don't know. Uh, maybe it's not a great reason. It's pretty, It could be considered pretty flimsy, but it's how BJ and the, the rest of the writers explained it. So there's that. And we have one more voicemail from another Katie. So, wow. In <laughs> a Chad one episode, we, <laughs> Yeah, we got a Chad <laughs> and a Katie. So here's Katie. Hi, Chad and Katie. This is another Katie, actually another Katie W. So as Chad would say, there's something I like about that person. So I just recently finished binging your whole podcast. So I'm sorry to bring something up from a couple episodes back. uh, But the topic of Jordan Garfield, the attractive young new assistant that D'Angelo hires, I remember when they were casting for that role, and I just thought that you would be entertained by the description. They wanted the actress to be hot, but like Scranton hot. Um, So that was just a little tip that I thought of. And then, as you were talking about hiring Jordan being some sort of effort by D'Angelo to prove that he's not a sexist, it actually dawned on me for the first time that Jordan is a unisex name. So I wonder if when D'Angelo brought her in, he thought he was hiring another man. And then when realized that she was a hot young girl, uh, decided he would hire her anyway. So just interested to know what your thoughts on that might be. I'm excited to hear the uh, new episodes as they come out. Bye. I really like this thought. 
Um, yeah. Either way, D'Angelo comes across as a guy who's trying to prove that he's not what everyone claims he is. But I like the nuance of that being a possible mistake. Like he still tried to hire a guy, but then it just worked out in his favor. And he's like, oh, well, she's a wo- she's actually a woman. But okay, this proves that I'm not a sexist. I, I think that's that's a great uh, possibility. I really like that. I actually thought of this, and I, I guess I never mentioned it or or didn't. There just wasn't the opportunity. I don't know. But that's so funny that another KDW thought this as well because Jordan. I know so many more male Jordans than female Jordans. I know like one female Jordan, um, mm-hmm. and I thought about that as well when it was that inner circle plotline um well i mean he hired a female assistant and i was like oh well there's so many gender politics we could go into there as to why it's woman as an assistant whatever that we're not going to go into but um that d'angelo had this sexist um accusation and he hired this cute young girl um i had that same thought and that oh well maybe it was a mistake i i don't know but i do agree with you chad that uh D'Angelo likes to put people off his scent, kind of, um, mm-hmm. to, to make himself not predictable. So hiring a woman would, would maybe, I don't know, help help prove he wasn't a sexist, maybe. Yes. Either way, interesting thought. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for all of our voicemails. And hey, we definitely don't mind if you bring up stuff from previous episodes. So if you're listening through, and obviously if you're on like episode 20, right now you won't hear this until you get to episode 83 but we don't we don't mind if you like listen back maybe if you repeat listen to episodes talk about something that happened a while back we're okay with that it's fun to revisit absolutely and with that that's the end of the official 83rd episode of an american workplace it was a marathon because we like all of you (laughs) Uh, (laughs) contact for the show facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on twitter please continue to go over to apple podcast rate review and subscribe to us and i have a shout out because i checked while we were recording just a couple minutes ago we got a new review that just popped up from joel from cali that's your name on itunes he's uh he left us a five-star rating thank you joel uh we love getting those reviews. It's nice to see feedback from all of you, and it also helps boost us to uh, maybe get new listeners. You can also email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. And again, if you would like to leave a voicemail to be heard on the show, uh, make sure it's less than a minute long, or, or at least as close to a minute as you can get. Uh, dial 93-PRETZ-DAY. That is 93-P-R-E-T-Z-D-A-Y, where the full number is 937-738-9329. We'd love to hear from you all, uh, but if it's too long, we're not going to play it on the show. So uh, plan it out. <laughs> Keep it short. Keep it sweet. Keep it under a minute. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash kd.white. The best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And there's my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. We do have one new Patreon supporter, Caitlin. Thank you so much for your support, Caitlin, and to all of our Patreon supporters. If you want a shout-out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, which I promise are coming. We're just waiting on a shipment. Thank you for your patience. 
mm-hmm. bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 83 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 84 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season eight, Lotto and Garden Party. Bye. Bye. Which for a guy that... Even I just said at the beginning of this episode, sorry, for a guy that even, I don't know how to say this, for a guy that admittedly, uh, okay, Katie, come on, (laughs) for a guy that who even I just said is someone kind of lacking the qualifications.